What is up, everybody? It's Zach from App Premier Soccer Investing coming at you with yet another Slap Socks FC YouTube podcast. Let's get into it. This week was a an infamous week in the world of soccer. And it's really all because of this, the European Super League. What this was, for those that aren't familiar, though I'm sure basically everyone is, is this was a proposal by the leading, the quote-unquote leading clubs in Europe, which were the big six of England in Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, and Tottenham, Atletico Madrid, Barca, and Real Madrid of Spain, and then AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus of Italy. And what they proposed was a radical upending to the European competition form of, of European soccer. So basically replacing the Champions League. What they wanted was a closed league of 15 teams who were permanent members. These 12 plus another three that would have been named later, but the three they wanted were Dortmund, Bayern Munich and PSG, though all three of those teams declined to join the Champions League. And then they would have five teams that would be able to qualify for the Super League each year. One of the reasons for them doing this was almost all of these clubs are significantly over leveraged and in serious debt due to huge transfer expenditures, not sustainable spending, renovating stadiums and stuff like that. And they want money. And they believe that since they're the biggest clubs and they drive the TV contracts that they deserve, if not all, the vast, vast majority of the money. And this was their way of doing it. They partnered with JP Morgan, a huge American investment bank, which underwrit this whole project, pro, project and promised them each club $350 million in starting grants and then billions and billions more with TV money over the years of this competition. The problem with this is it is completely the opposite of what year soccer as a sport is all about and what European soccer as a competition is all about. Soccer historically has always been, a, unlike American sports, has always been about an open pyramid, open constant, uh, um, open pyramid, open competition, promotion, relegation, all of that. Unlike in the U.S. where if you're in the NFL, you're in the NFL. You can't get relegated to a lesser league. You can't get relegated to the G League if you're an NBA team, stuff like that. And what's happened here is that Americans have started moving into the European soccer space, and they're trying to turn these what have historically been community organizations and not necessarily businesses. European soccer clubs historically have not been run to be profitable as a business. They have been run as an asset to the community. However, these Americans are going in and buying these teams and they're trying to turn it into what they have with their franchises in the U.S. They're trying to turn it into an NFL team and an NBA team where they're almost guaranteed to make money. And you see that with Arsenal being owned by Americans, the Chelsea chairman being American, Liverpool being owned by Americans, Man United being owned by Americans, uh, AC Milan being owned by Americans. And then this whole project was underwritten by an American company. So in essence, the Super League, the European Super League was an attempt 
to Americanize soccer, the sport of soccer, in order to line the rich owners' pockets. This basically was a blatant money grab designed to make the rich richer and the poor poor, and then just further increase the gap between the haves and have-nots in the European footballing pyramid. And the only reason this was stopped and didn't go through was due to the massive backlash by the fans, particularly by the fans in England and around the world who fought against this with every fiber in their being. And they got the English government on side and the opinion of the world on side. And within 48 hours of the Super League project being announced, it was dissipated with the English clubs pulling out due to the vast backlash they received from their fans. So in essence, football was saved. And throughout those two mad days where the Super League looked to be reality, UEFA and FIFA looked like the good guys, which is extremely hard to do for those who know the inner workings of soccer worldwide, as those are two of the most corrupt organizations who don't take care of the players and don't take care of the clubs properly either, which I'm going to go into next. So this Super League format was also announced basically the day before the new Champions League format was supposed to be announced, which gives them most of the concessions they wanted anyways. The Champions League is expanding. Is going to This is starting in 2024. It will expand from 32 teams to 36 teams. And the group stage will be replaced by a league, which is called the Swiss model, where each team is ranked, and then they will only play 10 teams once. You'll have 10 games in the group stage, and it's based on your rankings and who plays each other. And then as historically, the Champions League only could have been, you only could qualify for it through your domestic league. But now two spots will be available to teams that have the highest UEFA coefficient of that past season. So basically, teams that have historically done well in Europe and done well in their countries have high UEFA coefficients. And now they will be guaranteed two spots, even if they don't do well in their league. Like this season, that would have been Tottenham and Arsenal, who both did not do well enough in the Premier League in the year before to qualify for the Champions League, yet they would have been given spots under this new system. And from there, you have the top eight teams in the league of the group of the 36 teams. The top eight teams in that table will automatically qualify for the last 16. And then, as you can see, the teams who finish 9th through 24th will play two-legged playoff tied to progress. And the group stage biggest battles will obviously be the race for 8th and 24th, where you get the automatic qualifying spot and then the last spot in to fight for a place in the group of 16. And then from there, the last 16 to the final remains unchanged. You know, the two-legged ties, the quarterfinals, semifinals, final, all that remains the same. But this creates an extra 100 UCLA UCL games per season, which is a lot. And this has brought up even more concerns on player welfare, which Ilkay uh, Gundogan, Man City star player, has brought up here on Twitter when he said, with all the Super League stuff going on, can we please also speak about the new Champions League format? More and more and more games. Is no one thinking about us players? This is a very important argument and situation and point that needs to be brought up. These players now, over the last, since basically 2018, have had almost no off time. Because 2018, they had the World Cup, didn't have time off. 2019, there was international play. You have the Nations League added now in each 
country of the UEFA Nations League, the CONCACAF Nations League, the CONMEBOL, that's the South American Nations League. There are more and more games are being added in their international breaks. You have more European games. You have more cup games. You have more Club World Cup games. Everything, more and more games are being added on these players. So now they basically go nine, ten months of the year basically playing a game every three days. And that's just not sustainable for the future of the sport, for the future of the players, because injuries have been on the uptick and that will continue to happen if this amount of games is being forced upon them. Now, what does this all mean for the hobby and the soccer card market? As we all know, injuries are not good for players' values. And if you have more games, more injuries are just more statistically likely to Occur. So that means you have a little bit more risk in investing in these modern players that are playing all these games, which th- I think leads to a, we're going to see a rise in vintage and legends because there's going to be this turmoil with what's happening with the Champions League, wh- what's happening with the amount of games these players are playing. And you look and see these players, they're retired, they're done, their legacies are secure. And you can, and people will look down and see, oh, that is a much safer place to park my money than having all this risk surrounding injuries and all all of that like with the modern game as it is right now. However, this will also be a good thing for the hobby because this Champions League format should lead to more exciting games, more games, and people always want to see more Champions League games. And that means more eyeballs on the sport, especially in the U.S., where I don't know if you guys know, but – Sports media as a whole and sports television as a whole has been moving away from the cable TV market and into the streaming services. And the big streaming services now are centering their package around sports rights and in particular soccer rights. You have Amazon Prime trying to get a hold of Premier League rights. You have Peacock building their whole platform around having the Premier League and the F and yeah, having the Premier League. You have ESPN Plus with the Serie A, the FA Cup, the League Cup. It's looking like they're going to get the Bundesliga too. And then you have Paramount, which is CBS's streaming service, taking a hold of the Champions League and Europa League as a centerpiece for their streaming platform. And that will cause more eyeballs to go to soccer, more people to get into soccer. And the more people that get into soccer means the more people that will get into soccer cards, which will help the market. Also, you have more of these big, high-profile matches, so that means big performances like the one that Venetia's had in the Champions League against Liverpool could lead to more of these one-off spikes. So there's going to be opportunity there. If you think a player, if you like the player's matchup in a, a UCL game, there could be opportunity to buy him before the game. He scores a brace, and then you sell, and you make a lot of money. I think stuff like that will continue to happen, and it will happen more often. And while I'm not a huge fan of this Champions League proposal – for what it means for the sport, for the hobby, and for soccer cards, I think this will lead to even more growth because the more Champions League, the better it seems right now for soccer cards. Soccer like Prices generally rise when the Champions League is happening, and I think that will continue. And speaking of the Champions League, we have the semifinals going ahead this week. Real Madrid versus Chelsea on Tuesday. PSG versus Man City on Wednesday. Some key injury news for Madrid. Eden Hazard is back. We'll see if he starts or not, but he is back and fit and ready to go for Madrid. 
And then PSG and Mbappe picked up a knock this past weekend, but he's supposed to be good to go. And City's supposed to have basically everyone fit too. We're going to see some massive matchups, and then the second legs will be the following week. For the Real Madrid-Chelsea tie, I pretty, I'm going to be picking Madrid to go through, even though Tycho has a team playing very well. And we have Werner back in the goals. Mount's been amazing. Pulisic is back in rounding into form two. It's just really hard to pick against a Real Madrid team in the Champions League. It is their competition. They know how to win in it better than anyone. And as you saw against Liverpool, they put in extremely professional performances. And I think that will continue. And I think they have the defense good enough. And I think with Vinicius playing the way he is and Benzema playing the way he is, I think they have the goals to get through. And then PSG versus Man City, I think we're going to be in for two awesome games in this tie. But I said when PSG hired Pochettino that I picked them to win the Champions League, and I'm going to stick to that. I think Neymar and Mbappe are both in fantastic form right now. Di Maria's joining them too as a great third to their duo, and they're just looking really, really strong. Granted, so is City, and they have the likes of De Bruyne, Gundogan, Foden. They have a really strong backline, Diaz, uh, Ederson in goal, but... I don't know. I think the magic of Neymar and Bappe is going to be enough to pull PSG through into the final. So I'm predicting a PSG-Real Madrid final, and I think PSG will defeat Madrid and pick up their first Champions League title. And winning that title, I think, will lead Mbappe to re-sign with PSG and commit his future with PSG, which will be a double blow for Madrid because they have been after him for a long, long time. Another big thing that happened in cards this week was Topps Museum 2020-21 Topps Museum collection released. As you can see, every box and guarantees one of each card, an auto, an autograph relic, and a relic card. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is eight cards per box. So it's a bit of a risky rip. It's a kind of an all-or-nothing type of proposition, but there is a very strong rookie class in this. You have Lucina Triore, Jamal Musiala. Curtis Jones, Conrad De La Fuente, um, Ryan Gravenberg, Malang Sar, Pedri, Trincao, Eduardo Camavinga, he's a big one, Mendy, Bellingham, Mukoko, and Billy Gilmore, too. And you look at this champions, this checklist, and you see the rookies that are in it. And it's a pretty fair assumption to make that these are what's going to be the rookies in 2020-21 Topps Chrome Champions League, which I think we should all be very happy about and very excited to see as this is an extremely strong rookie class. And that means that I think those boxes will sell well. And these cards, and especially the RPAs out of this, have been selling very well. You have Camavinga RPAs doing pretty big money. As you can see, $530. You have other players' RPAs. Pedri doing well, too. And then Obsidian released a week prior. The best-selling stuff out of Obsidian so far has been the super popular Color Blast insert, especially if a player like Messi and Mbappe has one. There's a Greenwood Color Blast in there too. But yeah, Color Blast out of Obsidian and then the RPAs out of Museum have both been doing very well in the secondary market, which leads me into the mailbag portion of this week's episode. 
First question, courtesy of my man, Neam, at MP Sports Cards 1. If you guys don't follow him, you should. Putting out great context, content, content, super knowledgeable about soccer and the hobby in general. Um, which will sell for higher six months from now? 2021 Obsidian or Museum? I'm going to go with Museum for a few reasons. First, and this is my own bias coming into play, I am not a huge fan of the look of the Obsidian base cards with the etches and all that. It's just that design doesn't do it for me. Though I do have to say the Color Blast look great, though I still think like the EPL Prism Color Blast look better. But secondly... What drives wax value the most has always been rookies and what rookies are doing well. And although Obsidian has a similar rookie class to Museum, I think the fact that Museum has these really popular RPAs will be what lifts this box value over Obsidian in the long run. So I would have to go with Obsidian, though I think if you buy now and hold for six months to a year or 18 months even – I think you will make money on both because it's wax and do the strong rookie classes in both. But I I would have to go with museum for the RPAs. Next question. How do you time peaks and dips and dips in the vintage market? So that's tricky because vintage, it doesn't generally see huge run-ups and hills and valleys like modern does per se, but it does happen. So for vintage, what I would say is if you believe in the card, buy whenever you feel like you can afford it and when you, whenever you're comfortable with spending that money and then hold it until it reaches a certain target you have for it in mind. So if you buy it, uh, let's say a Maradona high grade card from his fifth year, uh, like a nice vintage Maradona card for $5,000 and you believe it'll eventually be a $10,000 card, but it dips to 2,500. I would not panic sell with vintage because this stuff is so low pop and so rare that the supply and demand equation should eventually play out and you'll see that card start to ride. So rise up again in value. So what I would say with vintage is have a clear plan with what you want to buy the car at card at, and then have an even clearer plan with what you want to sell the card at and then just ride out the any dips and values that come in between that and don't try to time the market and skip back and forth on cars buying in and then out of it, which you can make money off of, but it is super risky and super difficult to do. So I think having a plan with vintage on what you buy at and then what you're going to sell at and then kind of forgetting about it until it reaches that number is a good way to go about buying and investing in the vintage card market thoughts reviews of the golden auctions that closed the 24th which is tonight i'm recording this podcast at 10 32 p.m west coast time i'm recording it late at night in part for this golden auctions to see what the stuff ended at hey what's up guys it's aaron just want to make it really clear that any that talks about here all do not include the 23 percent buyer's premium so if you're looking at social media, you'll probably see that the Ronaldo sold for over 200K. Uh, Zach only included the listings that had the sale values before the buyer's premiums were included. So make sure every single you know auction you see sold here, you added a good 23% on top of that. And I have to say, it really wasn't great for the soccer cards in this auction. I didn't look at like the basketball or football or baseball or whatever. But looking at the soccer cards, stuff dipped. 
and I don't know if that I don't stuff maybe has been stagnant a little bit on certain cards the last month, but stuff really hasn't been dipping per se. I think that's more of a just on golden auctions, especially for cards that are less than six figures, even less than five figures. They generally don't sell for as well as they would on eBay because of the volume of high dollar cards on golden and the perception of golden that you only that many people have that you only go there to buy the super high end. So people aren't necessarily going on golden to look for the $2,500 card or the $5,000 card, which means there's opportunity for buyers who are looking for that card. But if you're selling, I think your pocketbook takes a hit as you can see with these Mbappe cards. So we have a 2018 Panini Donruss press boost gold 10 out of 75, which is a Jersey number. 10 out of 75 in his French jersey. That's a jersey number card. PSA 10 sold for 2200 One of these sold about a month ago, a month and a half ago on eBay. Wasn't even a jersey numbered one for $3,000. That's bad. The jersey number generally fetches a premium over the other numbered versions of a card. So if it's thirty, if it's $1,800 less, and it has a jersey number. I think that's just a fa like a a symptom of selling that type of card on Golden. And you can see again with the uh, optic green velocity Mbappe PSA ten twenty three hundred dollar card. That card has sold for three thousand dollars on eBay before. And then the Donruss optic hollow Mbappe PSA ten thirty eight fifty on eBay three thousand on Golden. So. A word of advice for people who are looking to sell golden, in my opinion, is unless you're selling a huge a six-figure $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 plus card, I think you're better off going on eBay because you get more eyes on it and you get more people that come across the card and that, have, that go to eBay looking for that type of card and they don't necessarily go to golden looking for that type of card. But then also the high-end stuff dipped too. So the Panini Sports Mega Cracks number 137 Renato PSA 10 rookie sold for 170000 This card sold a little more than two weeks ago for 230000 That's a $60,000 dip in the span of like 17 days. That's not great. I don't know if this one's necessarily a symptom of golden or a market correction because it did rise up pretty fast but i think long term five ten years from now i think this card will be worth a million dollars or more because there's only 38 of these psa tents it's the rookie for ronaldo and then the rookie sticker for ronaldo seventy six thousand dollars tonight same night the the mega cracks ronaldo sold that sticker the sticker sold for Ninety-eight thousand, so a twenty-two thousand dollar dip there, and then some messy rookies dip, like, and then a two thousand six World Cup messy PSA ten dipped from twenty-two thousand to eleven thousand dollars. I think that's more of the symptom of a, again, a five-figure type card just doesn't do that great on Golden compared to a platform like eBay. But the high-end stuff, I think it's more people saw a run up fast. That's what happens if something runs up fast. There's a bit of a market correction, but I think that's a good thing long-term. That means it's not a bubble because if things rise forever, it's eventually going to pop. But if you have these rises and then a pullback and then a rise again, I think that's the sweet spot that 
you want to be in as a market. But yeah, it's my thoughts on the golden market. This is an interesting one. Neymar 2014 World Cup Prism a goodbye. So this is a card with a bit of a weird history. Back in the August peak in 2020, this card got up to over $4,300. And then almost right after that, it dropped all the way down to like $400. And since then, it's really consistently been at like the $400 to $550 to $500 range. And it's been pretty level at that price. And it's continued to stay that way. Now, I do think there is some potential in this card for a couple reasons. First, I back PSG to win the Champions League. And if they win the Champions League, Neymar cards have to rise in price because they're not winning it without him putting in some key performances. So I think it has potential in that respect. It's the first World Cup card for Neymar. And then this summer also is the Copa America. And if you believe Brazil's going to make a run, it's probably going to be because of Neymar. And if they do that, you'll also see some rise there. So I think if you believe in Neymar having a big next three months, next two to three months, it's a good buy. If not, it's not. Last question. Thoughts on soccer market growth before the Euro Cup this summer? So we've seen the market in the last six months compared to the market today versus six months ago it's up tremendously though it's kind of a little bit stagnant right now because i think people part of the reason the market grew so fast especially over the last three months was because people were loading up for the summer and if everyone has the same idea oh i'm gonna get in early for the euros this summer that means if everyone's doing it you're not in early because the market's already rising so now people are just waiting for the euros to start and then i think we're gonna see a big explosion again because you're gonna have not only basketball will be up a ton because it'll be the playoffs. And when basketball's up, that helps soccer. The Euros generally are a huge television television draw across the world, which will help the market too. And that's when people who aren't full time into, you know, full time soccer guys and not into the soccer market, that's when they're going to turn back to soccer. And then I think we're going to see rise again. So I don't know how much the market grows in the next month until the Euros start. But I think we're going to see some huge growth during the Euros and even a bit after before a pullback in the fall. But that's it for this week. As always, DM me if you have any questions, what you want to see going forward in the video. Like, subscribe, and comment. Thanks for watching and peace.